Lord, we're so glad that you chased after each of us. We were running away from you for a time. Somehow you caught up to us. Or do we come back to you? Thank you for chasing after us, Lord. There's a whole world out there, Lord, and I know that you're chasing after them. You want them all in the kingdom of heaven. Your word tells us so. Lord, tonight, I pray that maybe a few more will be added to your kingdom so that the angels can rejoice because it's a great day in heaven because a sinner turned to you, the living God, and was redeemed and forgiven of their sins. So, Lord, today, thank you. Thank you, Lord. I know you didn't let up on me. I remember for running for about six years, and then you caught me. Or I just came back to you. Thank you for keeping after me, Lord. Thank you for keeping after all of us. I know we're all saying those same things in our heart. We're so glad that you didn't give up and you chased us. And that's why that book or poem was written, The Hound of Heaven. Lord, you just, you just chase after us, Lord. That one little lost sheep, you're going after them. And thank you, Lord, because we were that one lost sheep at the time. Lord, thank you. Pray the world knows you, Lord. And then this place might brighten up a little bit. Well, brighten up a whole lot if everybody would call unto you. Lord, tonight, we want to hear from your spirit, Lord, as we study your word. May there be applications in our study for our lives that will bring us closer to you. And may you receive the glory, Lord, through us, through this all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. We appreciate it. Um, one thing I did want to say before I bring Grace up here, she has an announcement. Um, I did want to tell everybody online, we're here every Thursday at 7.15, so tune in, and every Sunday at 10 a.m., okay? So uh, tune in, Freedom Church of Freedom Church, no, yeah, freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb.org. And Grace has a, a message for us, an announcement. Hi, everyone. Just want to remind everybody again about the Freedom Church's Christmas musical. And I know a lot of people say Christmas is over, but it's a wonderful time to come out because Christmas can be any time. Christmas should be in our heart all the time. Amen. So on Friday, January 22nd, not tomorrow, but Friday, January 22nd, 2021, from 7 to 8.30 p.m., I pray that this church will be filled with people <laughs> coming to see the Christmas musical and to be at the feet of Jesus because that's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. And I know that many are used to celebrating Christmas on the 25th, but like I said, for the Christian in our heart, it's Christmas all the time. So I want to invite everybody to come. Come and fellowship with those that are here. Bring someone, invite someone that maybe you've been trying to get them to come to church. Sometimes they'll come to church for something like that, but we hope that everybody watching and everybody sitting here 
plans on bringing someone. And let's not put away our Christmas heart just yet. I know that we look around and the Christmas lights are gone, the Christmas trees are gone, but that's not what it's all about. Let's come out that night on Friday, the 22nd, and just spend time at the altar and looking at the manger that we'll have up here and just remembering what does that manger signify for you? Because if Jesus hadn't come, we would never be celebrating anything like our salvation or repentance or just the love that we have for him. So I invite everybody to come out on the 22nd for the Christmas musical. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. You know what? If this COVID thing can drag on, we can drag Christmas on every day. Every day. Every day. So, for all of you out there, you know, like Grace said, it, it's Christmas every day for the Christian. You know that Christ came, he died, he was buried, and he is risen according to the scriptures. And that's an everyday thing for believers. We just don't stop just because Christmas season's over. We worship the Lord every day, just like those shepherds did and the kings did. You know, um, you know we worship him every day, not just not just on Christmas Day that we celebrate. It's actually the anniversary of the birth of Christ. It might not be the exact day. People say to me, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. Most likely not, but the point is he was born, and that makes you accountable and me accountable, that we have to do something about it, like receive him as our Savior. So listen, we're in uh, Genesis chapter 12. There's 20 verses. I'm just going to read the, the whole chapter again because we only got three, three verses last week, and I'm reading from the New American Standard. For those of you that are kind of new to your Bible, it's the first book in the Bible. You're only a few pages in, and it's about Abraham. We went through all the creation that the Lord did on chapter 1 and, and a little bit on 2. We went through the fall of man, you know, uh, and uh, we saw the creation, we saw the fall of man, we saw the dispersion to nations, and now, you know, we're digging into uh, the line that's going to lead to Messiah, and it's about our father Abraham, okay? So I'm going to read those 20 verses. New American Standard, verse 1 of chapter 12 of Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abram, notice the name is Abram, he has not been named Abraham yet, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Moriah, Mor Moral. Now 
the Canaanite was in the land then. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, To your descendants I will give this land. And he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. When he had proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, he and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built another altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continued toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. It came about when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkey and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with a great plague because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is it that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? So then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his, man, his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Quite a story. We see Abram here in, you know, he's a man. He failed, and we're going to see, and I'm going to point it out as we go on. Um, remember, in the first three verses, God promised to Abraham uh, a few things. And what is it? He promised him land. He promised him that he would be a great nation. And he promised him people. And he promised him blessing. So he's four promises God gives to him. And we know the whole, the whole promised land was given to the Hebrews. The whole promised land. And if you look it up, it's from the great river now all the way up to the Euphrates, which is not the little ten small piece of land that Israel possesses today. Um, he gave them that land, and he was said that he's going to make a great nation out of the out of the Hebrews, which which he did, as you well know today, which consists not only of the bloodline of Abraham, but also the faith line of Abraham. That means that because of the the uh, blessing, it extends to those that believe in Yahweh by faith, because Abraham was saved by faith. Um, and then he gave them people. So now, you know, there's many people. There's Hebrews, not just bloodline Hebrews today, but there is, is spiritual Hebrews today because they are, you know, Abraham was justified by faith, and so are we who believe and may not be of the bloodline of Abraham. We are justified by faith. And he said, we'll give, you know, I'll give them blessing. People bless you, I'll bless them. And if they curse you, I will curse them. So, you know, God's uh, pretty tough about this, 
this uh, situation, you know, about about um, about the Hebrews. The, the America and every nation ought to know that it is important to side with Israel because Israel is God's nation, whether you, whether you like it or not. You know, over the years last week, I touched on it very quickly and didn't get it quite clear enough. But what became of those nations that did not bless Israel? Let's look at a couple of them, okay? Now look at the Greeks who overthrew Palestine and they were quickly conquered by Rome. Okay, we can look at the Romans fell because Paul, you know, um, Paul was killed by them as a proceeding of the gospel went forth. Okay, and Rome fell and it was destroyed. Spain was reduced to a five-rate nation after their inquisition against the Jews. Germany destroyed, was destroyed for its anti-Semitism against Christians and Jews. So that puts it into the bloodline of Abraham and the faith line of Abraham. So therefore, people will bless you if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the son of the Father, okay? He will bless you because you are ble- you are his nation. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. So if the world wants to be blessed, they better get in line and bless Israel, okay? You know, America during, during oh, let me go. Yeah, Germany, I did Germany. America better wise up. The United States is okay with Israel through the Trump Trump administration, but the last administration, not so much. Listen, we need to get on a bandwagon or America will not exist either. We got to bless Israel because, you know, God says it right here. God said it. God's not a man that you should lie, that he should lie, or a son of man that he should repent. He has spoken and he will do it. Numbers 23. Okay, listen, if God said it, he's going to do it. So he said, if you bless Israel, then I'll bless you. If you curse Israel, I will curse you. These nations will fall. Even during the, the, the second coming, people that come against Israel, they will fall at the hand of God. So we want to bless Israel. The church in the dark ages decided to, to uh, really uh, be anti-Semitists about about Christianity and what did it do? It ordered, ushered in the dark ages. We got to get on the bandwagons. We cannot reject Israel. Okay, the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, you know that um, Harris. The Lord said to Abram, He says, you know um, that we need to bless them. We need to bless him, and we we do bless him. Let me read the fourth verse. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all the possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the promise for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Listen, Abraham was called to, to depart, and he did it. He did what he was told to do. It's important that we do what we, we were told to do. Joshua 24.2 tells us that Abram's family worshipped idols. God called him out of idol worship to the true God, and Abram followed. 
Um, Abram is really then a picture of God's grace. For anyone that looks to, to the Lord, you know, or to Abram, he's a picture of God's grace. And he, was a, he represents the entire Hebrew nation. Your quality of life is based on the treatment of Abraham's descendants in verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. Okay? How you treat Israel is very, very important to every nation on the face of the earth. Verse 4 of uh, 12. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Okay? Abraham had partial obedience here. You know, he, God told Abraham to leave his family in Ur, but Abraham takes his nephew with him, Lot, as you well know, which created, created problems as, as time went on, okay? And then he had to, his dad was with him. He had to wait in Iran, and he actually, according to my estimation, he must have spent about five years in, in Haran before he departed to the promised land from Haran. So, of course, we know that his brother died, and then, and then Lot took, I mean, Abram took Lot under his wings as an, an adopted son, I guess you could say. Now, Abraham was 75 when he departed to Haran. This is why I'm younger than 85, thank, or 75, but I'll tell you what, he, he was in good shape. He was in good shape. So if you're 75, just keep claiming health. Keep claiming health. Because one, God wants you to be well, as far as what I can see in the Scriptures. And that's not a name it and claim it. That's just believing the words of God. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He went 600 miles northwest to Ur. Then he did 400 miles southwest to Canaan. Now, that would be like, first of all, you moving from Miami to Atlanta, and then from Atlanta to New Orleans. That's the way he went. When he could have cut straight across, it would have cut them miles out. Now, why he went there, I don't know. You know, I don't know that it means too much. So Abraham prospered in Haran, it says in verse 5. He gathered possessions, and he took Sarai, his wife. Okay? So... This is uh, an interesting chapter. You know, Sarai was his wife. Turn to Genesis chapter 20. I'm going to read the first um, several verses. Now Abraham, this is Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. Now Abraham sojourned from there toward the land of the Negev and settled in Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned. In Gerar, this is talking about Abimelech. Just so you know, I want you to see something here that's important. Okay, Abraham said to Sarai. Now, Abimelech was like the Pharaoh. Abimelech is a title, like president, like Pharaoh. You know, it's just a title. So we don't know Abimelech's name, but he was a king of Gerar, and he sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night. And said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Listen, here is a heathen being spoken to by God. Because Abraham, we're going to see shortly that he lied about Sarah. He, he told a half-truth, but a whole lie is what it boils down to. Okay? 
Behold, you are a dead man, Abimelech, basically, is God talking, because of the woman whom you have married, you have taken, for she is married. Now, Abimelech had not come near her. In other words, he didn't touch her physically, okay? He said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though we are blameless? Did he not say himself, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother? In, in the integrity, this is Abimelech talking, in the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart, you have not, you have done this. And I also kept you from sinning. Look at God kept him from sinning or having intercourse with Sarah because, because, um, I kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, and he, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, and you and all, yours, all of yours will die. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called on the servants and told all these things to his, in his hearing, and the men were greatly frightened. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us, and how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you done? encountered encountered that you have done this thing and Abraham said because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife a my wife Sarai besides she actually is my sister here's the words of Abraham in the Bible besides she actually is my sister and the daughter of my father but not the daughter of my mother and she became my wife. So we see that Abraham told a truth. She is his sister. He did the same thing, and he's going to do the same thing here with Pharaoh, okay, which was prior to Abimelech. But I wanted you to see that because Sarah is really his half-sister. She is the, the daughter of his father, but not the daughter of his mother, okay? So that makes him a, her a half-sister, Many of us in this church and probably over the Internet, we have half-brothers and half-sisters from a second marriage. He actually married his half-sister. So um, it was legal. This is before the Mosaic Law was ever given, just so you remember that, okay? So, so um, she was a beautiful woman, and he knew it, as we read it in Genesis chapter 12. So listen, but look at this. God says to Abimelech, I know the integrity of your heart, but Abraham is a prophet, and he will pray for you. Abimelech's probably thinking, this guy's a bigger sinner than me, but he's a prophet. So Abimelech did what God told him to do. Abraham did not recognize that God could speak to the heathen, and uh, the heathen, of course, was kept from touching Sarai, which that also plays back into the chapter that we're in because Pharaoh never got to touch Sarai either, keeping her pure, okay? 
Now, Abraham failed. He jumped into the flesh instead of the spirit and saw following after God as we go along. You'll see that. But God tells Abimelech, who had a, an integrable heart, to go to Abraham and he'll pray for you. His prophet. Abimelech's thinking, he's a bigger sinner than me. But he did what he said, and he let Sarah go. Otherwise, it would have cost him his life and his entire family. So Abraham acquired possessions in Haran. This is verse 5 of Genesis 12 again. And he took Sarah for his wife. But she was his half-sister, as you just saw in Genesis chapter 20. He acquired people in Haran. That means that he was there for quite a while. Even though God had spoke to him prior to that many times to, to go out to the land that he's going to call him, he stayed a while. His dad died in Haran, Terah. He died in Iran, and then Abram moved on towards the promised land from Ur, or from Haran, I'm sorry. Now, chapter, verse 6 of Genesis 12, okay? Uh, Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem and the oak tree of Marah. Now the Canaanite was in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to said to your descendants I will give this land so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him okay God gives him a promise I'm going to give you this land okay your people will possess the land remember that's part of the promise in Genesis 12 1 through 3 land descendants blessing and a great name and of course we know that Abraham has a great name we wouldn't be talking about him today if he didn't he is the father of 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 our faith he is the father he's the great patriarch it's Abraham it's Isaac it's Jacob okay so he tells us the Lord promised his people to possess the land that was Joshua's con conquest after uh, Moses had passed away. Joshua was the one who actually conquered the land. He didn't conquer all the land. We find out that David was the one that uh, conquered uh, Salem or Jerusalem, okay? Um, and that was many years later. Uh, they didn't fulfill the whole promise and wipe out everybody from, from uh, the river in Egypt, which is the now all the way up to the Euphrates. They did what they could in the time that they had, I guess. Um, and he built an altar at Shechem, okay? Abraham believed the promise of God, and he built an altar, and he worships at that altar, okay? Then he builds a second altar in Bethel, right here where we see that the Lord spoke to him, and he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Listen, the Lord had appeared to Abraham at Shechem, so he builds an altar, and he worships the Lord. The second altar at Bethel, you know, tells us that Abraham went south from Shechem and settled between Bethel and Ai, and he builds an altar there to the name of the Lord, and he worships him, and he prays to him, and he gives him thanks, and that's part of all of our lives, these altars. The New Testament and the Old Testament truth is that, that although Abraham was given the promised land, he still dwelt in that land in a tent. And as I mentioned last week, he never possessed any of the land as, all, as long as he lived. 
The only thing he did possess was the cave at Machpelah where he buried Sarah, okay? And, of course, we know that Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah, and Joseph is in that tomb, the same tomb. That was the only land that Abraham owned in, in, in the promised land. The otherwise, he dwelt in tents. That has a shadow of a parallel to us. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read the first eight, eight verses. And this isn't the only chapter that talks about a tent. 2 Corinthians 5. Okay. And we're going uh, 1 through 8. For we know that if the earthly tent which is our house, is torn down. We have a building from God, a, ho God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us his spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in this body or this tent, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are, of good, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body or the tent to be at home with the Lord. You know, Abraham dwelled in a, in a tent the whole time he was in the promised land. And we are promised the land of heaven, and we live in a tent, and we're not going to get to that, to see the actual kingdom of heaven till we get there. But we do live in the promised land in our hearts, just so you know that, Okay. Abraham was just passing through. And we also are just passing through this life. Many, many Christians don't even get that to this day. You aren't here forever. You can build your bank account and be the richest man in the entire world. But it don't mean a thing because you're leaving it all behind. You know, we got to get with the program, Ham. You dwell in a tent. You will not live forever. And you can't take it with you when you go. Abraham was passing through. He just believed God, and he dwelled in tents in the promised land. He knew that it would be fulfilled someday. God made you a promise. You know what? That promise might not come true until after you're gone, but it's going to come true. If God spoke it, it will happen. You've got to have that faith and that, of that kind of faith to know that. We are just passing through the spiritual parallel. Is, is right there, what I just showed you. You know, we're pilgrims. Is that First Peter, Second Peter 1, 21, says that we are aliens and strangers to this earth. You don't live here anymore. This isn't your home. You were called out of this world into God's kingdom when you were saved. You're living in the kingdom of heaven now on this earth. But God wants the kingdom of heaven to take over the whole earth. That's why the Lord told us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, the whole earth, as it is in heaven. We are seeing part of this. We know we're headed for the promised land, the kingdom of heaven, but we haven't seen it yet. 
because we're still dwelling in this tent. And God will give us a new tent someday. Even Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8 through 10 tells us that we dwell in tents. So we got to remember this. You aren't here for a time. Abraham's faith is being tested here. Is he going to believe God even though he doesn't possess any of this land yet? And he does. He follows through. My friend always used to say, faith that isn't tested just can't be trusted. God may test your faith to see if you can, he can trust you. And you can find out for yourself, will you be trusted if your faith is tested? God's faithfulness in hard times will develop our faith. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God's faithfulness in hard times, like even walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, he, he will develop your faith. We dwell in these tents. Someday we're going to be all gone from this tent. And many Christians are living like they're going to be here forever. And you aren't going to be here forever. You know, I did a memorial for a good friend of mine, Dion Mantarola, uh, you know, back in January last year, a year ago. And... Uh, I preached the gospel. There was over a hundred people here. There was standing room only. And there were several pastors from different churches here. And me and Dion worked together many times. If I said 50, I'd probably be low. I'd say more like a hundred times. Her and I worked together over the last 10, 15 years, okay, in ministry and deliverance. And uh, she passed away. She knew many people. She wasn't part of this church, although her and her husband does financially help support this church she's never been here for a service but we were good friends and and very close and we ministered together we cast out demons together we saw God heal people with debilitating diseases that would would kill them and we saw the, them healed and she wanted me to preach you know the, 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 the memorial to be at this place and I preached the gospel that day and I know Probably half of the church wasn't believers. And one of the pastors from one of the bigger churches around here came up to me, and he said, Joe, thank you for preaching the gospel. And I'm going to preach the gospel till the day I'm dead, just so you know that. And I'm going to do it with the Holy Spirit's help because I can't do it in my own strength. I will do it. I always pray something like that that's hard. I say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. I need your help. Listen. It's all about Jesus and getting to the kingdom of heaven because you're going to be out of this place sooner or later. The death rate is 100% short of the rapture being uh, coming, and then you might just luck out. Um, so listen, I have a good friend of mine, my mentor from up in Pennsylvania, the guy that, that really, besides him and the pastor of, of the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church that I belong to, took me under their, uh, the, his wing you know, and taught me so many things. And he passed away on January 7th, just a few weeks ago. You know, but I know where, I know where he is. You know, I know what, that, what, what, what God has done for him. I know that he's alive and well. Some of the things that I teach from the pulpit today come from this man. His name was Scott Bailey. And I just wrote his wife a, a letter this week and mailed it to her and how I would never be in the position I am today if it wasn't for that man. Because he developed my faith. 
He got me to memorize scripture. He came out to my house every Friday and taught a Bible study. And when I had the sign shop, he came down to the sign shop and taught Bible studies. And, you know, he, he trained me. And now he's in the kingdom of heaven. He left this tent. And now he's in the kingdom of heaven. And I loved him so much. And I still do. Listen, you've got to get with the program. And find Jesus as your Savior if you don't know him. Because this, this world is, is running down quickly. And time is getting worse. And I don't have any conspiracy theory going on here. I'm just telling you the way it is. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. You don't know what tomorrow brings. We just don't know. So, it says, fear and flesh led Abraham to Egypt. Now, there's a famine in the land. Abraham is running by fear. That's the same thing in the world today. I hate to put it that way, but COVID's got the entire church working in fear. Listen, you're going to believe God or you're going to believe one of those medical experts. I'll tell you what. Medical experts give you good advice, and you need to heed it. But you go to God first. And that's why I always say, you know, you who abide in the shelter of the Most High shall abide you shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. If you dwell in the Lord, if you abide in the Lord, if you abide in me, Jesus said, John 15, 5, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you ask whatever you will and God will do it for you. You're going to take Jesus at his word. You're going to take God at his word. God says, if you dwell... If you abide in, in the shadow, in the shelter, and in the shadow of the Almighty, you're in a safe place. You're in a safe place. Go to God first. You take God first, then you go to the doctors and you believe them. And then you heed and be wise as a serpent, as harmless as a dove. So I'm not talking, you know, doing something stupid. I'm talking about going to God first, put him first where he belongs. And then, then go with the rest of the stuff. You can actually claim that verse, Psalm 91.1, and other verses like Psalm 103, 1 through 3. You know, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, and delivers your life from the pit. Well, we know that he, he prepared a place for us, and we can believe that, but you don't want to believe that he heals your body. He certainly can. I've seen it done many times over my Christian life of 43-plus years. And I believe he's healed me many times, and I believe I saw him heal other people, and we just have to believe it. Jesus couldn't do any works, even in his whole time, or very little works, because there was no faith there. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. The word was preached to us just as it was preached to them, only it did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. We have to have faith. We have to have faith like Abraham, who was told to go to a land that he knew nothing about, didn't know where he was going. He just did it. And that's, kind of, that's faith. That's blind faith. God didn't call him to Egypt. God called him to the promised land. But he was operating in fear 
and fear with the flesh was entering into him. You know, he, 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 he operated in fear, so instead of staying in a promised land where God would have supported him, you know, he went down to Egypt. And because he was down in Egypt, you know, he, he knew that Sarah was a beautiful woman, and just like we read in chapter 20 about Abimelech, he knew that they were going to kill him and take Sarah for wife because she was so beautiful. So he told her for the first time, listen, they're going to kill me unless you say you're my sister. He's going to give his wife to another man to save his own neck. I don't know. And then there's a scripture, I think it's Romans, you know, it says that, you know, the man is supposed to love his wife. He's willing to give up. He was willing to, to uh, I don't know, to get her caught in a lie. And she actually listened to him. She actually, she actually, actually obeyed her husband. But you know what? It says right here that Sarah was a beautiful, a beautiful countenance. At this point, I want you to recognize this. At this point, Sarah is 65 years old. Abraham's 75, remember? She's 10 years younger. She is 65 years old, and she is beautiful. So there's no reason. You know what? My wife just celebrated a few months back her 60th birthday. I bought her a banner at the party store that says this, 60 looks good on me. And she still is good. She's a beautiful woman. I hope she's listening. She's a beautiful woman, not only outside, but inside. For those of you that are, are, uh, are you think, uh, male chauvinists, you ought to get with the program and love your wife. Because, listen, I've ministered with more women in my life than I have with men. I've seen them cast out demons. I've seen them heal the sick. In Jesus' name, of course. Listen, you aren't macho because you're a male. You aren't macho because you're a woman. You're macho because you're a child of the living God. When you fight in the Spirit, there is no male. There is no female. There's just believer. So when we get to heaven, as Jesus told us, they don't marry in heaven. They're like the angels. They have no sex. Abraham was scared to death of Pharaoh, so he was willing to give up his wife. He tells a half-truth but a, uh, of deception, which is a whole lie. And you know what? As we go through Genesis... You're going to find out that Isaac does exactly the same thing with Rebekah when he goes to Egypt. He tells Pharaoh, she's my half-sister, and she was. But see, do you know that the sins of the forefathers pass on to the third and the fourth generation? You know that? Your father is an is a alcoholic. Chances are you're going to be an alcoholic. No, not always, but it's, it's highly likely. Bad friends corrupt good morals. Says 1 Corinthians 15, 33, I believe it is. Bad friends corrupt good morals. So he gets her to, to go into the dece same deception that, that he does. 
So he solicits Sarah to sin, and she follows the lead of her husband. Husbands can't do stuff like this. You're supposed to be a man of integrity. A man of integrity. And we're all learning, for those of you who are married. Abraham lowers his integrity here. So the flesh is doing two, four things to him. It's preoccupying himself with flesh. Some of us Christians are doing that today with the COVID thing. No longer does he see God as sovereign, and such the same thing Christians are doing today with COVID. COVID's more powerful than God. No, it is not. COVID isn't more power than God. Even Satan doesn't have power of God. Satan just is a deceiver. His power was stripped at the cross. Read it in Colossians chapter 1. He smashed the fangs and tore the claws out of the devil. And he has been made an open spectacle as Jesus triumphed over him through the cross. He took matters into his own hands. That means he let he entered into the flesh. Instead of putting his faith in God. And he was fearing men rather than God. Well, you know, when Jesus came on the scene, he said, don't fear him who can kill the body, but fear him that can kill the soul. Sarah's beautiful. And when he got to to, uh, Egypt, he was right. Because she was so beautiful, Pharaoh was told about her, and he went and got her. Abraham, here, listen, in verse 16 of chapter 12 here, Abraham is accepting gifts in exchange for his wife. Is that a low blow or what? That's almost like being a pimp. This is the man, this is the father of our faith. You know what it tells us? He was a sinner just like us. And we all need a savior. Disobedience, you know, multiplies quickly. He got Sarah to sin. He tells Sarah to lie. He loses his wife to another man. Abraham then becomes just a picture of our fleshly self. Did you ever notice how my sin looks really bad on you? If I do it, it's it's okay. You know, I don't look at the sp- I don't look at the log in my eye. I look at the speck in yours. But my sin looks really bad on you, even though I'm sinning it and myself. It's just a picture of us. We're all sinners. Your brother's a sinner. Your sister's a sinner. But you are a sinner too. Verses uh, 17 through the end of the chapter, uh, the Lord plagued Pharaoh, and this was repeated through Abimelech, which we read Genesis chapter 20. Okay? It was repeated. The Lord plagued Pharaoh. It shows that God was not confined to Bethel. This shows that he's omnipotent. It shows that he's omnipresent. 
He protects his people even when it seems lost. Even though Abraham lied about Sarah, God is protecting her from Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh could have went into her too and, de and uh, def defiled her. But no, God didn't allow it to happen. You know, when they go into the kings marry women from, from, from other countries or in treaties or whatever, they don't just go to bed with them that night. They make them purify themselves and, you know, pretty them up. You know, they have to take baths and oil and all these things. You can find that out in the book of Esther, you know, where there was, a, there was a, like a year period of, of making that woman even more beautiful. So we know that Sarah didn't go into her. When we get to Genesis 20, God tells us that, and I'm sure he did the same thing here. He protects Sarah, even though things look lost. He did the same thing to Daniel, protected Daniel. He did the same thing for Peter. He did the same thing for John, who was boiled in oil. God protects when he has a purpose at stake. God did not let it happen. So he, he brought great plagues on Egypt, boils, because of Sarah, who was Abraham's wife. And Sarah and Pharaoh, in verse 18, calls Abram. Here's what he says. He asks him two questions. What have you done to me? Obviously, God spoke to Pharaoh. What have you done to me? You know what? You see that your sin has an impact on other people, whether you know it or not. If you sin, it impacts other people. Abraham's sin, it impacted Sarah. Abraham's sin, it impacted Pharaoh. Abraham's sin, and it impacted Abimelech in chapter 20. Sarah's contamination would have been wouldn't have been to God's purpose. So he protected her. So the second question that Pharaoh asked to Abraham, why didn't you tell me she's your wife? Obviously, God spoke to him. How did he know that she was his wife? Why didn't you tell me it was he was she was your wife? Even a heathen understands that, that there's evil in lying. Even a heathen understands that. This is embarrassing for Abraham. Abraham, again, well, this, this is the first time, but he's, a, he's, he's, he's um, lectured about morality from Abimelech in chapter 20 and also Pharaoh in chapter 12 here. Why did you say she's my sister? When a, when a heathen instructs a Christian or a believer in righteousness, we got a problem. And that happens today a lot because, you know what, people say, why don't the world get the churches out there saying, why isn't the world getting saved? And the world's looking at the church saying, what is wrong with them? They need to get saved. They're as unholy as the rest of the world. They're sleeping with one another. They they, they uh, brag about their sin of sodomy and pornography and drugs it's a sad day. The, church, the world should be looking at us and saying, I want to be like them. When they pray, God moves. 
Abraham's a bad example here. Christians that don't pay their taxes, Christians that, that are drunk and do drugs, Christians that turn on the computer and get involved in porn and adultery and fornication. If you look at the world and you look at the, the church, the divorce rate is about 50 50%. 50%. There's no difference practically for the church as there is the world. There should be a big difference. But there's not. His testimony then is lost before Pharaoh. Our testimony is our virtue that will achieve for us victory in this world. How did they overcome the devil in the Bible. You can find it in chapter 12, verse 11 of Revelation. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Abraham's testimony isn't so good here. And I hope that we as a church and all those over the Internet, I hope that our testimony is good, that you're not stuck in the the sin that is noticeable by other people, homosexuality, adultery, theft, lies, cheating, pornography, fornication, and a whole bunch of other things. Idolatry. Pharaoh is so upset, he gives Abraham and his company a, what can I say, a escort out of Egypt. In other words, get out of here. I don't want any part of you. And I'll tell you what, if you have a bad testimony for before people, guess what? You know what they're saying? I ain't going to listen to you. Get out of here. But what's amazing about this is even though God gives grace and protection to Abraham, he gives the same protection to Isaac. He gives the same protection to Jacob. He gives the same protection to you and I. Thank you, Lord. But Abraham does it again, chapter 20. We already went through it. He does the exact same thing to Abimelech that he does to Pharaoh. He loses his testimony. And he gives him an escort, get out, go, just like the Pharaoh did. See, we know from the Word of God that the Lord's loving kindness has indeed never ceased. They are new every morning, and great is our fa His faithfulness towards us. We know that that's true. See, God tells us there that He doesn't expect perfection. He expects progress. Remember I talked to you last week about, about sanctification? There's positional, there's, there's progressional, and there's perfected sanctification. Positional, if you have Jesus Christ in your heart, you are sanctified. That is, your, that is your position in Christ. You are sanctified in Christ. That's your position. You, but there's, there's progressive sanctification. The Lord doesn't expect perfection. He expects progress. You should be a better man today than you were a year ago. And the year before that, you should have been better then. You should be progressing in your faith. That is progressional sanctification. And then when we get to heaven is our perfected 
sanctification. Where we are perfected because of our position where we receive Christ as our Savior. In the middle there, the progressional perfection, the progressional sanctification is where we grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's where we get the rewards for our faithfulness to the Lord and what we have done for him and how much we loved him and served him in our lives. The tragic results of this disobedience to Abraham is, number one, he grieved God. And I'm going to end it here. There's six points. The tragic results of disobedience in your life and in Abraham's life and in my life is it grieves God. That's number one. Number two, it weakens our faith. Number three, it gives us a poor testimony before a world that is dying. Number four, it causes Pharaoh and other people to be afflicted. Your sin affects other people. Yours, his sin, because he gathered people in Egypt, led to him taking Hagar and going into her and producing a son named Ishmael which was an operation of the flesh. It makes him, you know, the results of disobedience is a work of the flesh. And number six, it's a bad example to his son Isaac because he goes and does the same thing. And I think it's chapter 26. So anyway, be careful, Christian. Even though this is Old Testament study, it has shadows and can I say shadows of things that are are, are, are in, in today's world in our world and it, it's a picture of uh, of uh, you know the tent that we live in it's a picture of not sinning it's a picture of having a good testimony before men so listen we're going to end it there next week we'll be in chapter 13 so for those of you online please tune in next Thursday night at um, 7 15 and for those of you, next Friday night, again, is going to be our Christmas musical. We're going to repeat. Please come out. It's Christmas every day for us Christians, and we're going to live it a little bit longer. So uh, uh, and we're going to let people know it. We live it every day, but we're going to let people know it. And who knows? Maybe it'll be Christmas in July. Okay? Anyway, God bless you. Love you all. I'll talk. see you next week. If, you, if you're around online, 10 a.m. on Sunday. Okay? All right, God bless you. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for the message. Father, drive it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.